Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 26th, the best of 2019 clip show edition. As you may have gathered from the title, it is a clip show, that holiday standard from The Simpsons and elsewhere. Today on the show, we're going to go back and give non-plus listeners a little selection from the Slate Plus segments we've done over the course of the year. So if you aren't a member of Slate Plus, consider this like a sampler platter, the stuff that you've missed over the course of the year. If you are a member of Slate Plus, consider it a reminder of all the stuff you loved best over the course of the year. Of course, we can't get on with the show without doing some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting stuff, like mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and everything else we do. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Also, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on that fine platform. It is a really fun community and we moderate it so it doesn't get too out of control. To get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's our membership program. It's a great way to support everything that Slate does. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad Are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other great benefits. So support the show, support Slate. Go to slate.com slash Plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, onward. Here we go. The joke that my daughter Lyra has been telling everyone on God's green earth for weeks now, despite the fact that it sucks. All right. So these three men uh, find a a magic lantern and they rub it and a genie pops out and they free the genie. The genie is so happy and so delighted to be freed that in classic genie fashion, he offers the three men three wishes each. They don't have to share the wishes. They each get three wishes. The first man says – Oh, man, that's amazing. I never thought I'd have this opportunity. Let's see. I would like to um, I would like to be the richest man in America and to have no possibility of that money ever being taken away due to some loophole. I just get to be rich forever. The genie snaps his fingers and poof, all of a sudden the man's wallet is bulging with money and he checks his bank account on his phone and he's got bazillions of dollars. He's richer than, than Jeff Bezos. The second guy says, that's pretty good. I'd like to be the richest man in the world. I would like to have even more money, even more security, uh, enough money to solve all the problems of the world, to make myself comfortable forever. Please make that happen. The genie says, sure, no problem. He snaps his fingers. Boom. That guy is even richer. The two guys look at each other like, oh, yeah, you got me. (laughs) The third guy goes, all right, uh, let me think about it. I think what I want is for my left arm to revolve counterclockwise <laughs> continually forever. So the genie snaps his fingers, and just like that, the guy's arm just starts revolving like this. I'm doing the motion. Mm-hmm. You can't see it, but Jamila can. <clears throat> right, then we have their second wish. The first guy thinks for a second, and he goes, uh, you know, I think I would like to 
be married right now to the most wonderful woman, the love of my life, who loves me and respects me and who I love and respect and, and to have a happy and healthy family uh, with children who love me forever. And the genie snaps his fingers and poof, it's done. Suddenly, uh, the woman of his dreams is now his wife. He has beautiful children and they, they can live happily forever. Second guy thinks for a while and he goes, I think I want to be irresistible to women. Like, I just want all women to think that I'm incredible, not like in a monkey's paw way where they throw themselves at me and murder each other, but just like if I ever am interested in someone, she's also interested in me and we get along great and it's that way forever. The genie snaps his fingers and just like that, it is so. And the second guy or the third guy thinks about it and he goes, uh, you know what I want? I would like my right arm to rotate clockwise in perpetuity for the rest of my life. The genie snaps his fingers, and just like that, now the guy's both arms are rotating in opposite directions as he stands there. So now they get to the third wish. The first guy says, well, it's hard to top these first two wishes, but I think that I would like um, I would like to wish for all conflict in the world, all armed conflict in the world to cease immediately, for uh, all armies to be disbanded, for the world to be at peace, and for all people to live in peace and harmony. And the, the genie snaps his fingers, and that's it. The wars everywhere end. Civil wars are over. Armies drop down their guns and plant flowers, and the world is suddenly at peace. The second guy thinks, and he goes... That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, you know, I think I wish for climate change to immediately end, for all carbon emissions to stop the world over, for the damage that we've done to the environment to stop and reverse itself, for the earth to go back to the climate situation it was in 200 years ago, and for humans to no longer do damage to the earth. And the genie snaps his fingers, and it's done. And suddenly, there are birds everywhere, and the temperature drops just a little bit, and the ice caps stop melting, and the world is saved. And the third guy goes, oh, those are good. Those are good. Um, you know, I wish that my head would revolve in a circle, which is rotate in a circle nonstop like in The Exorcist for the rest of my life. So the genie snaps his fingers and that's what happens. His head starts rotating. So 10 years go by and uh, the guys meet up in a bar to see what's up. They haven't seen each other since they ran into the genie. They've been traveling in different circles. And uh, they go to the bar, and the first guy says, you guys, my life has been truly amazing. I'm still married to the woman of my dreams. My children are wonderful. I have more money than I could ever use. Um, I give away tons to charity, and I feel so great every day that there's no armed conflict in the world and that the money that the governments of the world once spent on nuclear bombs are now spent on feeding the hungry and, and helping the poor. Uh, things are just really great. I'm really happy with my life. And the second guy goes, that's amazing. That's really cool. Um, you know, same here. I own a Caribbean island, actually a chain of Caribbean islands. And uh, all the most beautiful women in the world come visit me there. And we have a wonderful time. And then they leave without rancor. And, uh, and those islands aren't at risk because of climate change. They won't be overwhelmed by the seas. And people everywhere are living happier, healthier lives because of a thing that I did. And that just feels really great. It's, uh, my life is amazing. And the third guy looks at them and, and his left arm is rotating counterclockwise and his right arm is rotating clockwise and his head is rotating in a circle. And he says, guys, I think I fucked up. <laughs> Ta-da! Yeah, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> but... 
it makes me laugh every fucking time. What? But but what's funny about it is that Lyra is so committed to it that she just that she it's thinks so, it's funny. That's so yes. great. Yes. I'd like to believe that the joke started with "I fucked up" and that everything was created to have an excuse to say that. In front of her father. <laughs> I mean, I, that's right. I think she read it on the internet. But yes, whoever initially invented that joke definitely thought of it for that reason. Yeah. That is not nearly as bad as she Because I, I spent the whole time wondering, well, why on earth? I'm waiting for the, the reason. Yeah. I'm waiting yeah. for the like, well, I was thinking this. No, I like yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's an absurdist <laughs> joke. That's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about the fact that I do something that makes me an objectively bad parent. And I want to know how you feel about it, Gabe. It's weird that <laughs> you think this is somehow different from the main body of the show that That's anyone true. can it's just true. download for free. It's not different. It's not different. I'm always an objectively not so great parent. But um, we have like a sort of informal tradition in my family ever since my kids have become slightly older teenagers. Uh, and I don't know how... I feel about sharing it, but anybody who's ever like seen me on vacation would know that it's true. So, um, but I occasionally allow my mm. kids to get alcoholic beverages when we are on vacation. <laughs> and um, it's like not, you know, we, oh, clearly we don't get like, you know, bladdered, but sort of in the tradition of like when I was growing up, like holidays and and trips, like you're allowed to have wine with dinner and all that stuff. It's sort of like along those lines. And my kids, <laughs> this is the where it gets weird, is my kids have just gotten so used to it that like we'll go to a restaurant and they'll just order a beer and I get super uncomfortable. But then I know I can't say anything because the comfort with which they've just ordered a beer will make me look super bad if then I'm like, what did you just do? <laughs> so it's uh, and it's like a thing that um, I'd say around 16 or so um, is when each kid has sort of had their like rite of passage, like, you know, we'll be on vacation and you get around a pina coladas or whatever, and the kids will be allowed to have one. But yeah, I mean, I think my kids have gotten a little too comfortable with it in some ways. And uh, but it's a thing we do. And I just want to know, how much are you judging me right now? All right. Well, I, as as <laughs> longtime listeners know, I, yeah. I was raised in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, mm -hmm. which as, as part of Europe is, is more sort of sophisticated about these things. And, and so children are, are raised to drink alcohol in moderation from the time they're quite young to have sips of beer. And then as they get bigger, maybe a small glass. And then by the time they're 16, uh, you know, having, having a, a beer would not really shock or scandalize anyone. England has a complicated and, and, and sort of terrible relationship to alcohol. Like, actually, on reflection, I shouldn't hold up English drinking practice as anything to aspire to. Uh, but there is something, I think, sort of pathological about the American experience as well. I came to this country for college, and I remember being like arriving at 18 for my freshman year and sort of being, you know, that's the point at which it's legal to drink in England. But I had been drinking casually in, in pubs for a couple of years before and was never a big drinker, but many, some of my friends were. And I remember encountering these American teenagers who had never drunk or who only drank in like horrible frat party binge drinking situations. Mm. And and yep. it just seemed like the worst possible way to introduce somebody to alcohol would be to to restrict them from doing it at all, except in this terrible, terrible way, and then just unleash them in college, and then again when they turn twenty one and turn it into this 
uh, horrible binge drinky kind of party situation. Um, so that seems terrible. And the idea that you would want to introduce your kids when they're, you know, teenagers to, to, a, a more, um, sensible and measured and moderate and, and non-hysterical, uh, relationship to alcohol seems completely fine and like a good goal. Um, yeah, I mean, but so, so we, so we, you know, definitely do like the wine with dinner, especially on special occasions things, and it's never been a big deal in our house. I, I think the turn for me though is like when the <laughs> the difference is when we go on vacation, the kids don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> they mm-hmm. ask at home, right? And so it's like, oh, can I have a small glass of wine? Or if I don't serve it to them, they're always like, oh, do you mind if I have this or whatever? And, you know, that always feels very, like, awesome to me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look, look how respectful we are. Look how much we understand that this is, like, a pleasurable thing that we don't sneak around with and therefore don't binge in secret. But, like, on vacation, if just because this is, like, a pattern, like, when Henry and Teddy went out to dinner without me, when they came home and asked them what they had or whatever, and Henry was like, "Oh, that place!" They like they had really good mojitos, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What?" <laughs> like sixteen and seventeen yeah. in a foreign country, you know. And now, <laughs> I, now it's the reverse of the problem that I described, <laughs> where it's not like they're going out and binge drinking and partying, but now for them, it's like ordering a mojito with dinner and claiming that you can tell the difference between a good mojito and a bad <laughs> mojito is a sort of mark of adult sophistication. <laughs> And so now they aspire to drinking as a way to be grown up like mom and dad, uh, which, which carries its own, its own sort of problems. I mean, it just, it seems like in this case, this, like you, you set a particular regulatory regime and then as is often the way with these things, like the, there, there's a certain amount of, of erosion. There's a certain amount of behavioral sliding past whatever was your initial (laughs) intent. And you got, you got, you got to dial it back a little bit, not necessarily by saying like now you never drink again until you're 21 but by saying okay let's get clear on how this works i don't want you uh ordering alcohol at the restaurant when i'm not there and i don't exactly. want you ordering it without <laughs> checking with me and exactly. like that you got to dial it back i know i know and and i did have that i did we did have that conversation about why it was weird and to be fair like they were cool with that conversation and also to be fair uh, they had no context to realize why it was weird because we had never had that conversation. And uh, that's the object lesson, right? Is that even when you're like on that gray ground where you yeah. think you're you're a little more permissive, you're a little more this, you cannot stop talking about shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't stop talking. Even when you think you're cool so much, talking. and everything seems cool, you cannot stop, It's right? too bad we hate talking so much. It's too bad we're both parents <laughs> who just hate to talk because it makes parenthood really challenging. But, uh, you know... Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess you just have to bite the bullet and like do some talking at your kids. Uh, too bad. Never assume you're done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the other thing is like the bigger thing I feel like is, are are you modeling a healthy relationship to alcohol for them? Like that's mostly what they're going to take from you is less about what you say and more about like how you drink in front of them and, and what's your relationship to alcohol like. And I, 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 this is a thing of mine. I feel like many 
people have fucked up relationships to alcohol in one way or another. Many like sets of behavior that that we culturally broadly have decided to agree are normal are actually sort of fucked up. And and mm-hmm. uh, I I wouldn't be thrilled for my kids to have some of those relationships to alcohol. But um, you know, I think they're probably mostly watching what you do and and how you do it. And and that seems as important as like exactly where you set the parameters around asking for permission or whatever. So I've um, been doing a lot of thinking about this in the last few years because I kind of came of age as a mom and my kids were little at the very beginning of this like normalizing like moms drinking at playdates kind of Mm -hmm. era of parenting, which, you know, um, I have very, very mixed and uh, a lot of negative feelings about sort of the normalization of the wine o'clock culture. Um, because I do, I I do like to drink. I'm not going to lie. This is something that I think about all the time. And my rule of thumb right now, and I, I feel like I'm finally hit like a healthy and good place where I am comfortable kind of talking about it and I'm comfortable thinking about it and processing it around the kids and like... I've found a place of much greater moderation and much more comfort in that, like a lot of things, when I found myself having one set of behaviors when my kids weren't around and another set when they were around, that's almost when it was less healthy for me because Mm -hmm. um, it's like a lot of vices where if you find yourself doing it all the time when you can, when people aren't watching, you're probably doing it way worse than if you're doing it in a way where you're comfortable doing it all the time in front of all kinds of people, your kids, your parents, your boss, whatever, right? So that was how I sort of finally hit my comfort zone with, you know, an after work cocktail or a glass of wine or whatever is, um, does this feel like an okay thing to do? And would I do it differently if I were by myself? Uh, and am I doing, you know what I mean? And when I found a place where like, this is what I'm comfortable with, uh, the frequency, the amount, the type, whatever, where I'm doing it exactly the same way on a Tuesday where my kids are home as I would on a Friday when I'm out with my friends, maybe not exactly that, but that balance, because I, I do think that there's also a trap of this sort of like the abstinence trap where we get so scared of a thing, uh, that is, I mean, objectively, unless you have, um, you know, addiction issues, like objectively, like alcohol can be really pleasurable and can really sort of like heighten your after work experience, especially if it's a part of like some <laughs> ritual you have, which, you know, you, we can talk about the ins and the, the particulars of that. Um, but it, when you find yourself doing it differently uh, in different times, that's really where I personally find myself getting into more like troublesome behavior where I worry about like, Am I like hiding this from my kids? And does that mean that I'm doing, you know what I mean? I mean, it's not just alcohol. It's other things too. It's eating. It's, you know, uh, the amount that you go stay up late. It's so. Heroin. (laughs) So when when, when I found myself, I'm finding myself now in a groove where like I can have a glass of wine after work and like not feel weird about it in front of my kids because I know that I'm not going to have five if they're not there. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. It's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of a weird place, and I think it's an issue that I our culture is not really. I think it's something that's going to come bite our culture in the ass in a few years. And I'm so I'm trying to be proactive about thinking about it, but maybe it's something we should talk about more on the show at some point. Get somebody in here to unpack it with us. 
Sure. Um, yes, I, I I think mostly the like the fact that you're thinking about it actively uh, probably <laughs> like is good for you, but also particularly is good for you having these conversations with your kids. Like the fact yeah. that you, you can recognize the complexity around it and thinking about how it fits into your life and whatever. Um, the the point of yours that I also want to endorse is alcohol can heighten your after work experience, which uh, is <laughs> is certainly. Something to which I think most of us would be willing to stipulate. Um, Don't at me. I, not not, not going to at you. A couple weeks ago in Slate Slack, the Slate uh, messaging board for employees, uh, my coworker Faith Smith the great Faith Smith, who you may know if you've come to one of our live shows um, as our great director of all live entertainment, as I think of her, um, confessed to truly an amazing parenting fail. And she is now here to confess to it to all of us. Faith Smith, hello. This is very affirming to hear from my <laughs> from my fellow slate parents that the fail was so spectacular we had to record it for posterity. Yep. All right. Go. Tell your story. Yes. So uh, because of my job, I travel a good amount. And two weeks ago, I was in New York for the IAB podcast up front where the slate team killed it. And Wait, I'm sorry, the what, the what, the what, what, what? IAB podcast up front where we present what's coming in slate podcasting. It's very. To whom? To, like, marketing people. Oh. Yeah, it's an advertising thing. I had no idea such a thing happened. That happened two wow. weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and it had me uh, away from home for two days. And when I'm gone, my so my husband works in construction. He leaves the house really early, like 5 or 5.30 normally. So when I'm gone, our beloved nanny has to come to the house at, like, 6 a.m. to, like, get the kids up and ready and take my 6-year-old to school and hang out with my 2-year-old for the day. So she had two days of doing that. And she's been with us for three years, so I don't do a lot of texting and checking in along the way. And on the morning of the second day I was gone, I sent her a casual text around 9 a.m. And I was like, hey, how are the boys? Everything good? And then I got really busy with the event. And I looked at my phone again at like 1230. And she's like, oh, it's great. The boys are playing. They're fighting over toys today. Ha ha. And I was like, why are they fighting over toys? So I was like, did Benjamin, my six-year-old, go to school today? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Say that again. So I asked, (laughs) did Benjamin go to school today? And she responded that, no, he's on a break. He was not on a break. So I then confirmed, (laughs) did he miss two days of school? Because I've been gone for two days. And she was like, OMG, yes, I'm so sorry. By the time we put it together, it was like 1 p.m. School goes out. So two full days of school, just completely skipped for no reason. The school didn't call me. My husband didn't catch it. Like, I'm sure he asked my six-year-old, like, hey, how was your day? How was school? And as always, he was like, great, which is what he says no matter what. The school didn't call you? No. So there (laughs) is a small caveat for why it slipped through the cracks. And my nanny had some reasoning. So I had mentioned on this podcast before, my son goes to this. It's a public school, but it's kind of strange. It has a modified calendar. So they have... Only five weeks break in the summer, two in the fall, two in the spring. However, you can, for like $100, keep sending them to school during those breaks on the spring and in the fall. And it's like 
special learning around like a different theme or whatever. And so it's intercession. So he was on intercession, but it is school. You are required if you sign up to go for it. You have to commit to going for two weeks and you do get absences, but everything's different. He has a new teacher for the two weeks and she looked at the calendar, saw intercession and assumed it was a break. So that's, yeah. So there was like a little bit of a caveat for why that happened. I don't know why she didn't like text to confirm. I don't know why like my husband didn't figure it out. Well, she's been with you for three years. She trusts her own judgment, which usually is impeccable. (laughs) It's often impeccable. Yes, that's true. Uh, So the fail is due to you not telling anyone that your kids do have school. Yes. Your kids just didn't go to school? Just didn't go to school. (laughs) But why would you say the kids have school when, like, the schedule's the same, the needs are the same? Like It's the default. Yeah. It's the default is go to school. Please conduct life as usual in my absence is what you did not know you needed to say to your nanny upon your disappearance. Did not know. Um, I have a question, Mm -hmm. which is, do you get the impression that your son was delighted when he discovered <laughs> that he had missed two days of school, that he'd gotten away with this thing? Was he upset because he loved school so much? No, I can't. He's sort of like the puzzle in all of this, right? Like, he, No. He sort, no. Of, he sort of knew he was supposed There's to be in school. There's nothing puzzling about this. He knew he was no. supposed to be in school. He knew it. This is the right? kind of shit I that like kids so. of divorced parents pull all the time. I've seen this a million times. They'll tell one person one thing and they'll be like, yes, mom said blank. And dad's like, all right. (laughs) Yep. He does like school, but I asked him what happened. And he's like, I forgot. And he just like trusted when his nanny's like, you have a break. But he did go to school the day before when I was there. So there's some BS there. There's some blame to go around. Yeah. yeah. It's a collective fail. (laughs) I'm I'm curious about this school structure. How many of the kids like don't, how many families are not taking advantage? Or I shouldn't say taking advantage. How many families are not enrolling their kids in this extra bonus school that you have to pay for? Because it sounds like maybe he talked to one of his little buddies and found out that like when he's dealing with a weird teacher who he's never met for two weeks, they're at home watching Teletubbies or something. And he decided that he too could have a little bit of time to himself it's possible i think i think i wish i knew why some parents didn't send their kids to that because it's like free or almost free care for two weeks so that's crazy well, i assume to me it's because they love don't. their children more than we all more do. than we do yeah. yes yeah. i think it's because they take vacations oh, yeah. which oh right i've <laughs> heard of those remember yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've heard of those uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he was excited about it, and some of his old kindergarten buddies were in his group for intercession. I think about half the kids go. So may, maybe, I think he was not, there was no premeditation on his part. I think when it was presented to him, he went along with it. He chose not yeah. to raise the yeah. obvious yeah. <laughs> the obvious opposition. Yeah. He still loves school. So yeah. I just find this really fascinating because it is sort of like it is an encapsulation of sort of my sense when I'm traveling for work that sometimes if I'm not paying very close attention, everything could just go completely haywire. <laughs> Despite the obvious capabilities of, say, mm-hmm. my wife or mm-hmm. the people who we have care for our children when both of us are away. Yeah. Like I just have the sense like, ah, like maybe if I'm not managing everything Everything might get fucked up. I would assume as a professional event planner, you have this <laughs> feeling more acutely maybe than the average parent. Yeah. I'm going to start sending our run a show to the nanny before I take the kids to school. Six a.m. Call Perfect. to kitchen for breakfast. Yes. 
Yeah, it is crazy because I don't micromanage a lot when I'm away because I can't. Like, I'm just right. gone too much and it's also You're stressful. busy micromanaging a bunch of other I'm things. micromanaging you guys. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it's frustrating that something so big got dropped. Like, it definitely made me feel like, well, that happens when I'm not paying attention. So, <laughs> who knows what small things happen that aren't brought to my attention. Right. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Allison, happy April Fool's Day. Thank you. To you too. I understand you have a parenting fail to share. <laughs> ah, you've prejudged it. Um, yes. So, let's see. Where should I start? Um... Harry, my oldest, who is 10, has never been one to care about. He doesn't like to participate in things. So he's not a big April Fool's guy. He's just generally not a big, like, if there's a school event, he doesn't want to go. Um, if there's a, you know, wear your crazy socks to school or crazy hat day, he doesn't want to do that. Sam, however, who's eight, has kind of taken us by surprise in that he wants to do everything. If he hears there's, like, international night at school and we're not going, he's like, why? Why wouldn't we go to that? Why aren't I wearing my crazy socks? How could you ever possibly opt out of Crazy Hat Day? So I should have known that April Fool's, which has never been a thing in our house, would have been a thing that Sam cared a lot about. So when I woke Sam on April 1st in the morning, the first thing he said to me was, he, like, literally pulled me in close and said to me, have you made dad's coffee yet? And I said, no. And he said, let's fill his mug with soy sauce. And I thought, hmm, love dad, dad slash John, great guy. But before dad slash John has had his first sip of coffee, he's really not his best self. Um, Once he has that cup of coffee, he's like making lunches and being a great guy. But beforehand, I think he could actually like have like a decent defense of like I murdered someone before my coffee and I don't even know that it happened. That is a high stakes April Fool's prank. Right. So I said, let's not do that. Uh, I think dad will be mad. (laughs) I think it could possibly make dad bad. He was very disappointed. I promised him that I would spend the day thinking of a great prank to do that night. Uh, During the day, I texted John to let him know that. Sam had wanted to do this and I had saved him from the misery and John was really unhappy because he thought am I really that kind of a monster that you wouldn't let Sam pull this prank on me I feel terrible I'm such a bad guy we ended up getting a little argument about it uh, that I overmanaged the situation fast forward coming home that night unlocking the front door as I'm unlocking the front door I'm realizing shit I didn't think of any April Fool's thing to either 
present to Sam that we could do to dad or to just like play on them. I walk in the door. Let me, let me just jump in here for one second. I, I just want to note <laughs> how April Fool's Day has now become yet another it's holiday thing that, you to... that you're meant to plan for. Yes, correct. As opposed to like all the rules are suspended. Everybody has fun. You get to do something crazy if you want to do it. <laughs> no, now you, the mom, are meant to like set up a thing. It's interesting because I was thinking when I was thinking this through, I thought it was more because of Sam versus Harry, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's just become a thing in the culture that like now you have to participate in. People are playing tr- tr- pranks on Twitter and it's a whole thing. I don't I hate know. It. We, we did not do any April Fool's stuff. Yeah. Nobody mentioned it and I'm super glad because I hate that. Anyway, I felt bad. I'm opening the front door. I realize I let down Sam, didn't have anything prepared. It was the first day with our new boss at Slate, new editor-in-chief, Jared. Hi, I walked Jared. in. Hi, Jared. And my kids said, how was your first day with Jared? Because they knew that I had a new boss that day. And I said, guys, the first thing I thought, guys, I have some bad news. I've been fired. And they immediately started sobbing like there was not even a moment for me to like pause and then say april fools like they were just full-on hysterical uh me i like quickly said oh my god april fools and john was like she's getting april fools but it like took them a second to catch up to that and it was they had they were really upset and i later realized that you know john had been out of work for some time and i think that was you know had an impact on them and is a little scary for kids and this was not like (laughs) not a funny (laughs) prank to play on them at all uh and so yeah that was a that was an april fool's parenting fail oh my goodness and um after like when you were like april fools no no it's not really true it's not really true were they like mad at you for putting them through that they were just confused like it took them a second for like it's not it's not real it's april fools to sink in and then for them to decide whether they believed me or not Uh, like i think for a second they actually thought like i was just covering but really i had been fired uh like now you were lying to them and in fact now you were gonna go to work every day and sit in a coffee correct and i suspect there's gonna be some lingering anxiety about like wait was mom like sort of hinting that something is to come yeah i don't think i was (laughs) this is why april fools is bad because if you tell someone something bad happened then you're traumatizing them as a prank and if you tell someone that something good happened that didn't really happen then you're reminding them that reality never measures up to our hopes right which is why i think what we ultimately did later that night which was pour john a glass of vinegar instead of water Uh, is the right kind of prank yes like moment what yeah yeah Yeah, that's good (laughs) Everybody's familiar with the likes of Disney World, Universal Studios, or Six Flags. But what about Peppa Pig World or Dollywood? What if you want to teach your children how to be completely disrespectful or just really campy? Love them or hate them, amusement parks can be kind of hard to avoid when you've got a little person. Dan, Elizabeth, where do you guys stand on the matter? As I was preparing for this, I was making a list of all the things I... um, liked and didn't like about amusement parks and it turns out all the things i don't like is a much larger list (laughs) but (laughs) so stay with me here but we go to them all the time like i have probably been to more amusement parks than most people so um i hate crowds and so i also don't like roller coasters and um only my husband likes roller coasters out of all the boys He's literally a test pilot it should be noted he's literally a test pilot yeah i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i don't really like typical amusement park food but saying all that 
I believe that a amusement park is kind of this high density cultural experience. And I really enjoy that. I like the thematic elements of amusement parks that kind of let you like escape to another world, which is so much what I like about traveling and why we travel a lot. And then um, there's also like this shared bonding with your family that I really enjoy. And again, that's something we also get from traveling. But I was thinking about all the kind of like weird amusement parks that we've been to in hopes of coming up with one that maybe Jamila would like. Oh. So we, um, although maybe you should tell us what you don't like about them. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. <laughs> then we'll give you some recommendations. Yeah. Okay, so to be fair, I have a traumatic childhood amusement park story that I'm about to share with you all. I have literally not told a single soul on earth that this has happened. <laughs> this is members okay. only, Slate Bus this members. Is member, right. Like, don't you tell those people who don't pay for a membership. <laughs> and I don't know if y'all use your Slate Plus memberships like people use like Netflix and Hulu, but this is exclusive content right here. So think of it. You've signed an NDA. You just don't know it. You didn't read the terms and conditions. Okay, so <laughs> picture it. Chicago. 1998 eighth grade graduation trip we go to six flags great america other kids got to go to like springfield even though i don't know why going to a state capital was supposed to be like exciting or fun for eighth graders um or you know disneyland or something a, a lot cooler but my school was only comfortable taking kids uh about 45 minutes out of the city and so I've never been an amusement park person. I think this was my first time at Six Flags. Um, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. I don't like super scary movies and I don't like um, scary rides. And so one of my best girlfriends and I get on some kind of, I don't want to say teacup-ish, but yes, something kind of like those teacup rides, right? Um, where there's maybe two people and one little circular thing that's kind of hooded and you're spinning around in circles and you're moving around a large kind of circular track, but you're also spinning in circles where you are. So this wasn't like in the baby section per se. This wasn't like a kid's ride, but it also is not anywhere near, you know, Batman, the roller coaster, you know, any of these really scary, you know, big, huge loop de loop ass roller coasters that they have at this place right but not a baby ride so this is my first time getting on something like this and it was a lot faster i think than everyone anticipated and so my friend who's with me is kind of like screaming kind of like ah, ah, right and so she's kind of scared and i'm kind of scared and but the way she's screaming is funny so i'm also laughing hysterically right like i can't help it so i'm scared i'm laughing there's too much going on i at 13 years old pissed on myself oh on my that God. damn roller coaster and it wasn't out of fear as much as it was i couldn't stop laughing it it's was just, just like so much sensation much too much so i managed to get to the restroom i think i had a jacket tied around my waist discarded my underwear you know washed my pants look i don't jeans like luckily you couldn't really see anything and just prayed that i didn't smell like piss for the whole day and so i have had a vendetta against amusement parks ever since then it's been 21 years and amusement parks can go to hell that said um i have been to disney world once with my daughter it was a very very short uh work trip oh you're doing some sponsored content for the magazine i was working for at the time so she was too we didn't have to do all the scary rides and we didn't have to wait in lines which was cool um but i i, I can't say i i know what i would like um you know, usually I'm looking for a bar or or a really good meal um, or a great gift shop, something that has nothing to do with, you know, the, the main reason that you go to amusement parks. But I think now more amusement parks are actually geared at that. Everywhere in Disney World now you can get a drink. 
So thank God. Uh, Jamila, <laughs> I have to say that is the most amazing story I've ever heard. It is also <laughs> amazing you. that you, on your very first trip to any amusement park, <laughs> Great America, also the amusement park of my childhood, um, you went on what is literally the worst ride at every amusement park. Is it the really? The teacup ride is the Agreed. worst yes. ride. Yes. It's, Why would they even make it? I don't know. Some idiot likes it. Wasn't it. But Fine. it's definitely the worst ride. Uh, <laughs> and you did it first uh, and and then piss yourself. That's amazing. But so <clears throat> I don't have a great argument for why you should love amusement parks <laughs> because amusement parks are not for adults. The whole mm-hmm. point of amusement parks and the reason that I like them, I mean, I'm interested in, as Elizabeth says, the sort of cultural understanding that comes from them. I'm interested in ride design, which I find a pretty sort of like fascinating science. And and I like the idea of the characters I like. I can go to Harry Potter world and whatever. Like, that's mm-hmm. funnish. But the reason that I like amusement parks is that in a whole life in which your kids mostly correctly feel like, you're doing stuff that the family wants to do that they get like dragged along on that you're taking them to Yellowstone because you want to go to Yellowstone and mm-hmm. they get dragged along on to to like see bison at Yellowstone or you're making them go to school because it's important for you to you that they go to school or because you're making them sit down for dinner with you because that's important to you. Amusement parks are the one thing that you do with kids where it is absolutely impossible for anyone to mistake it as anything other than completely for children. It is everything is child sized. Everything is child aimed. Everything is fun. There's music and light and color everywhere. The rides are clearly for kids and adults are there as a gift to children to give them this one day where we do everything for you. And I don't even care if I don't have fun because it doesn't matter if I have fun. It matters if you guys have fun and that is our gift. So that is what like, I like about amusement parks. It's like the do you, club do you for think kids. Though, like, yes, it's the club for kids. I I find though that so when people ask me on on the blog about amusement parks, one of the things I find is that because it is for the kids, there is this really high expectation that everyone will have a good time and that we will do everything. And and sort of one of my tenants of good trip planning with children is to have as low expectations <laughs> as possible. And that way, every positive experience feels like a ginormous win. Um, but I think specifically when I see people going to the bigger parks at Disney or Universal, there is this expectation that we are spending all this money and this is all for them and they are going to have fun. And then you get there and, you know, someone doesn't want to ride the ride or the you know, magical experience isn't as magical or they're terrified of the character they wanted to meet. And I think then what happens is that it becomes this terrible experience for everyone as opposed to like, if you keep, Dan, your mindset of like, we're here for the kids and we're just going to do what the kids want to do, then that's your expectation, right? Right. Like if all they want to do is walk around and eat the, you know, special cinnamon bread or whatever it is, then as long as they're doing that and having fun, it's a win. Is there a an amusement park that has cinnamon bread? Because Dollywood, I yes, Dollywood, Dollywood no has amazing cinnamon bread. bread. Yes, that's what I, that's the type of content I'm here for. Say more. Yes, okay. You can go to any any amusement park in Europe. I, I think this is where your sweet spot is. Are these great kind of like old school rides? So there's some they've built new stuff, but you don't have to go on those. And it's like beautiful parks with 
stuff to play on at this one in the Netherlands called the Efteling. You walk through old Grimm's fairy tales, and I mean like the old version, like in which nobody survives. You walk through these and you see these little dioramas and you have your you know, local beer, local drink, whatever they're serving there. And then there are also like some fun rides that they've had since the 1800s. um, So that are not scary. They're scary in a different way. But I think like that to me is really fun. The kids had a good time. We have a good time. um, For those without the expectation management. For those listeners who rightfully believe that going to Europe and then taking your kids to an amusement park is insane. um, I would just recommend Dollywood which, as Elizabeth and I already shouted, uh, has great cinnamon bread, but also in general has uh, actually industry recognized the best food of any amusement park in the United States. Uh, Mm. They just have a bunch of extremely good restaurants, like good by amusement park standards and pretty good by actual normal human standards, uh, including delicious homemade cinnamon bread that's baked there every day with like flour that they mill at a mill at the park um, and a bunch of like other just like good like southern country-ish cooking Um, and I actually had extremely good uh, fried okra at Dollywood I've had extremely good I had extremely good fried chicken at Dollywood Um, they just have like good chefs making good southern food like they're they are recognized in the industry for that Dollywood is in and of itself a uniquely crazy place um and i really loved it actually fairly unironically way more than i like most amusement parks because it has a whole set of associated like cultural things about dolly parton and her career uh that i found deeply interesting and that i went and did while the kids just like rode roller coasters over and over again um but that's a somewhat unique experience in general i still maintain that the point of an amusement park is to go there with as elizabeth says no expectations other than that whatever the kids want to do we will do it and i will not think to myself about how that's a stupid thing to want to do or how much money we're spending or anything i just give myself over to the moment and to them so I'm going to go back to the part where you said you shouldn't go in Europe. Yeah, do it. (laughs) I think there, the amusement park is so much more a part of life as opposed to necessarily something that you, like, go and do for a whole day, week, you know, whatever. Um, You just find that it's more kind of interwoven into what you go do as a family on a weekend or on a when your kids have the half day on Wednesday that you're just going to go you know, ride these couple rides together. And a lot of them still use that kind of the original, what we would know as Disney system of like e-ticket rides. Like you buy the ticket for this particular ride. So it's fun that you can like go and just ride the big Ferris wheel um, that they're known for. Um, So of course we mentioned Peppa Pig World, which we did go to um, and that's in the UK and it was total bonkers my kids were into peppa pig we were like hey we're you know living in the netherlands peppa pig world is over in the uk we should go and it was uh, this is like we went for them there was nothing redeeming for me at all about hearing the peppa pig thing a million times but my kids were over the moon like that is something they remember they have like the pictures of them with the peppa pig they weren't even like characters with people in them they were just like (laughs) you know statues um that they were really into okay but on that same trip, we went to Diggerland, which is a, another theme park in the United Kingdom. And um, this, I would say, we went for the children, stayed for my husband. They just had every kind of large machine that you could ever have wanted to drive 
available to drive. Hmm. So if you wanted to run the like scooper digger, I'm not well versed in my construction equipment, but the like scooper digger, they have them and they are like um, fastened to the ground so that you can't drive them off and you can just dig in this giant pile of dirt. It is actually really fun. They had come up with little carnival games like they've attached things to the different (laughs) diggers and you can play little games with them. It was crazy. It was muddy. It was amazing. Uh, I I actually do want to do that now. Yeah. So as you're older, you can actually drive some of them around on these tracks. My children were too young to actually do the driving, but could ride with Jeff. He um, went over the guardrail in one of them, though. <laughs> Got the truck kind and of. That's stuck why you now me. own a bulldozer. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how that's how we now own a bulldozer. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this counts as an amusement park, but in the Netherlands, there's a place called Pony Park City, where instead of rides, they just give you a pony. And it's a Shetland pony. It is yours for the length of your stay to to take to various things around the amusement park and do. Um, and that was a big win and involved no rides. And that was amusing for me. So wait, what was there to do at the amusement park since there were no like rides? The you can dress your pony. Yeah. You can, there was a pony. You can dress your pony up. You can go do rodeo things with your pony. There are trails. There's like trail riding. You can go to the station and just feed your pony. (laughs) I'm not advocating this is a good thing necessarily for these ponies, but um, (laughs) but it's great for kids. Kids will like it. It was it was amazing. Like imagine taking your kids somewhere and being like, "You want a pony? We got a pony (laughs) for a weekend." (laughs) My daughter and it goes to the stable at night. You know, you have it all day. You take it to the stable at night. I feel like my daughter would say, oh, next time we, we can go somewhere where they have unicorns. You could buy it's a never little enough. horn and put it on That's the middle true. of your... Uh, no body. reason not to bring your own horn. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> have we convinced you? <laughs> yes and no, mostly no. But um, I am on the Disneyland website begrudgingly. Uh, I opened it up to remind myself to uh, do a little digging later and figure out when we can go. I will report back. I cannot wait. Oh, yeah. Hey, your bar. See, I think this is a win. Your bar for amusement parks is already so low. That's right. <laughs> it can only be a win. <laughs> as long as there's no incontinence on my part. Exactly. Everything I is mean, great. <laughs> <laughs> the basis of all good trips. I agree. We're going to talk about doing this show for the past couple of years and what we have liked and not liked about it so much. Rebecca, what, what have you most gotten from doing this show? What have I gotten from doing the show? Well, I've mostly gotten like uh, the, the perspective of both of you. you were, I, think, I think that we all wake up in the morning and we're very different people. And very often we find ourselves landing in the same place philosophically. But I also find myself thinking of both of you and what you might say in a given situation when I'm in my own parenting situations. And that's been really fun. Um, It's also really fun for me. And this is like nobody like paying for the extra content in this podcast will be guilty of this. So I'm very comfortable saying it. Sometimes we get like super shitty feedback emails from listeners. And it's really fun to have an email thread with you guys and talk about those things. It's really fun to be like, (laughs) look at this asshole. Can you fucking believe this? (laughs) And that's always, you know, a, a small joy of making the show. And the other thing I love about making the show is how 
often completely unprepared we are. And those end up being the very best podcasts we make, which I don't know how it happens, but it always does. It seems like whenever we, oh, we do. work really hard or like put in <laughs> extra time, um, you know, and we have lots of communication like that's sometimes when we like are, you know, trying to sound extra smart or whatever. But to me, the best shows are the ones where we all just sit down and kind of tackle a problem and what feels like real time. I don't know, Gabe, you might be doing tons of preparation behind the scenes that uh, you're not telling me about, but. I'm not doing tons of preparation. I don't think anyone would accuse me of doing tons of preparation. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not sure there's been an episode where I wasn't working very hard to seem smart. So I'm um, not sure what episodes you're referring to there. <laughs> I used to be really intimidated by you when we first started on the show. I, we we definitely like that is so weird. Yeah, sorry, no offense. I did. I I, I, I was. That? Where does that come from? Well, it came from it's something that came up on today's show. You were talking about all like the bits of plastic and the shit your kids own. And one of my first recommendations on the mm. show was um, going to the dollar store to buy shit for kids' birthday parties. And you sort of gave me a talking to about all the consumerism and uh. stuff around parenting. And I was just <laughs> like, wow, I am scared because he is not going to like me in future episodes and then there was a whole other one where um it was about kids art and someone was like what they what should they do and i'm like put aside a drawer and just throw it all in there and you were like that is such suburban thinking like you have a hat like we the rest of us live in apartments and i was like oh no i'm not thinking about the apartment people but then over time i realized that you're not scary Aww. at all you're not I... you're just a giant teddy bear <laughs> Wow, with wrong-headed this is, opinions. This is really funny to, to, to look back on our relationship and, and, and realize that it felt like I was bullying you this whole time when all not. I was trying I was only I was trying to I was desperately trying to like say something that would make you laugh and do that laughing thing that you sometimes do. That was my main agenda for like the first six months was like, can I get Rebecca to do that laugh? I know so, that now. Yeah. So, so, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. You, you, you can never tell. Um, but I remember when, like, when I started doing this show, uh, the previous hosts, Dan and, and Allison, had stepped away, and I tried it with various other co-hosts, and, and some of them were really interesting, and, and some of them, it didn't work as well. Um, but I remember with each of you, the first time I podcasted with each of you, I remember just feeling like, oh, this is easy, like, Filling up the time mm. with, like, conversation is not, like, work with this person. And that felt like such a valuable thing. And, uh, I like, then having, like, working with the two of you on this every week and, and feeling like, okay, so this is... This is one of those comparisons that's just like intrinsically so absurdly grandiose that like you can make fun of me and that's fine. <laughs> uh, yes. But I, I remember reading something about the Beatles one time where they talked about. <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, I remember where, where, where they said about the Beatles that like the promise of the Beatles was number one, that in joining a group, you could not lose your identity, but find it. And mm -hmm. number two. Uh, it talked about Lennon and McCartney, not as uh, opposites who attracted, but as kindred spirits who chose to become opposites for the sake of the work. Hmm. And I feel like there has been a thing of each of us kind of settling into like, okay, this is my persona. This is my vibe. This is the guy that I am that's part of this kind of triangular relationship format that produces this kind of work. And it's been really interesting kind of feeling 
myself and and like by inference feeling you guys kind of just settle into that settle into like well what's my role here and how do i stand out and let's push on that a little harder let's uh maybe i should only speak for myself here but i definitely have like dialed up the pretentiousness thing in 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 an effort (laughs) to, to generate better content and i hope you appreciate it i love it I don't think you're I, I think as you've dialed it up, you've revealed that you're not really like that, too, at the same time. I mean, this is a time honored radio tradition. Everyone knows that this is what radio hosts do. I actually listen weirdly listen to a lot of talk radio. And I always have even like just because I just something about that's the kind of white noise I prefer is a bunch of obnoxious people just going on at length about their thoughts um, as opposed to music. So I listen to a lot of talk radio and it's occurred to me. That, yes, people dial up their whatever their personality thing is that they have. They dial it up just a touch. And some people go really hard with it. They just really lean into full on personas. And this is not that kind of show. We're not like a drive time radio FM radio show. But but um, but I, I, you know, at a certain point, I realized Gabe was dialing up his like pretentious thingy (laughs) and it was funny. And uh, and I but I think it's more about knowing the dynamic. Right. So, like, we know that Gabe is going to have like some kind of like erudite urban take on something. I'm going to have some like unnecessarily like dramatic and serious like spiritual like healing take on things Rebecca's gonna yeah. like just laugh and be cynical and that's what we're gonna do and, and that is the and that part the way that we play those things off of each other is part of how we like have done the show and I've, I really liked finding that um the thing that has been has hard for me about the show was I mean I still the first like ever like major scandal that we had which was um only child gate uh, mm. was mm. was continues to be like <laughs> wait wait to refresh our listeners is that yeah. when you and I both said that only weird. children are weird uh, yes we both did someone called in and said something about should I have an only child or should I not and I like it to- like tossed off the line well let me let's face it only children are weird of which I am an only child and then it just it everyone just lost it and someone, I just, I got so many emails and I remember we, it went on for weeks. I remember someone, my favorite email was someone was like, what if I said black children are weird? How would you feel about that? And I was oh, like, oh, that's ooh, right. I would feel differently because that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Is the answer to that question. <laughs> Probably not how you feel right now. <laughs> but the, the reason, the reason I always return to that event is because that was you know like that was that happened not too far after the election and inauguration happened and i've always understood that moment as um because i was noticing this happening on message boards all over the internet i remember there was this thing that happened on this baking board that i followed where people disagreed about a recipe and within like 30 comments it turned into like people yelling at one another about trump and liberals and the russia and it was like everyone was really on edge and people were really i think everyone just felt after the election that like that like whatever we were doing, we hadn't done it hard enough. <laughs> everyone just yeah. felt like on edge. And so I think there was this moment when everyone was just taking everything and, and all of its potential implications as seriously as they possibly could. And it led to weird stuff like that. But I found that always a little bit hard. I found the commenting and like the negative emails and stuff and just the idea of like having all the listeners tell you that you suck at the same time. That was like, I don't love that. It's part of my job and it happens sometimes, but for some reason on this show, it was a little bit harder than it is when it happens when I in my writing. And I don't know why that is. Maybe because I prepare less for this show and so I come off the top and I feel more exposed. 
Um, but also getting over that over time has been, I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed worrying less about that. And, um, mm. and that's been like a point of growth for me. And the other thing that I've really liked, ironically, is the exact same thing. It's just feedback from the listeners because so many of my, and this is totally selfish, but so many of the things that I've talked about in the show that have been hard for me to talk about, I've, I've gotten emails and comments from people on the Facebook page and in my inbox that are exactly what I needed to hear. And I've lost track of how many mm. times I've forwarded an email to Joe to be like, look at what this person said about George's struggle. This person who, you know, is 45 and says they had the same experience and this is what they learned. This is context for us. And I, I just, I am always amazed, and this is part of why I do what I do for a living, is because I'm really amazed at this quiet but consistent power that comes with a human being honestly sharing their experience with other people and then having other people resonate and respond. And there's something incredibly powerful about that. I don't even understand how all of it works, but it's just so cool. And it's what I love about um, the podcast in particular, because we talk more about ourselves. The, you know, the column is more about sort of parenting advice. And so we talk about other stuff, but in the podcast, we do an equal amount of talking about ourselves and about other people. And there's something about that, that I just love us all being in this parenting space together. And I really, really want to like, just extend like an appreciation to the listeners because you guys have helped me and my kids more than you know. And I hope that we've been able to return some of that. All right. See, uh, he yeah. always does that. He like yeah. fucking drops the mic. I and know. like, <laughs> and then, then I'm like, yeah. damn it. Now no, we're just going to let that hang. Yeah. And Gabe and I are just going to bask in the genius. That's Carvel. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm the host. Oh. Now I'm going to wrap it up. We do get a yeah. lot of shitty emails though. And like, we don't ever put yeah. these people on blast. Oh, my other favorite thing is when Gabe, and he only does this every once in a while. But when Gabe decides to cl- clap back at a shitty email, He's the only person that oh, yeah. does that. He's done it like once or twice, but it's always fucking. Oh, I've done it. I've done I've done it um, out outside of your loop very often oh, about my right. voice. Um, yes, oh, yeah, I am very comfortable fucking... responding to emails. Oh right, because you're podcasting oh. while female. Oh, People always, fucking always, hate my laugh. Mistake. Oh yeah, right. if only I didn't laugh, if only I weren't so grating. and if only i I would defer more to my male co-hosts it would be a much better show can i just (laughs) if you have ever in any medium criticized a woman podcaster for anything to do with a thing that her voice does fuck you (laughs) thank you (laughs) can i just i like i want to just take this up i mean you're whatever your slate plus members i'm sorry I'm sure I'm sure you haven't done that. But if if you know anyone who has ever done that, then fuck them because that's not okay. Uh. <sighs> All right. Um you guys, this has been so much fun. I've loved doing this show with you listeners and Slate Plus listeners especially. I have loved doing this show uh into your ears and and uh getting your emails and everything. Um thank you all and uh see you all around. And Gabe, I'll still be a Slate contributor, so I'm sur- still uh, sure that I'm going to be able to like slack you sometimes, and you might Definitely. respond. Definitely. But Carvel, can you please con- continue to text me about weird things happening on SVU and shit like that? Because <laughs> yes. I'll really miss you if you don't. <laughs> I know. The SVU connection is strong. The brand is strong SVU, from an SVU perspective here. <laughs> it's the podcast within a podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I was gonna I was gonna try and do an Irish goodbye and not say anything because I I don't know how to I don't know I have attachment issues and I don't know how to end things. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I really love you guys and goodbye. Love you too. Bye guys. Aww. You too. All right, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening for the past year. It is your listener questions and contributions to the mom and dad are fighting community that has made the year really, really great. We could not do the show without you. Literally, we'd have nothing to talk about. Hey, if you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air in 2020, email us at slate.com and have Shasha read it. And you can join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting, post something there. We might take it for the show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. Audio engineering from Melissa Kaplan. For Jamila Lemieux, for Rebecca Lavoie, for Carvel Wallace, for Gabe Roth, I'm Dan Coyce. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.